This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching our message. How y'all doing today? Good? All right, you. Hey, thanks, Dee Dee. That accent, I love it. I can catch it from, even in the dark, I can't really see you. I could hear you, and I'm really glad. I don't know what I'm doing now. Hang on a second. No, I'm kidding. Uh, hey, uh, my name's Tim, and I'm the teaching minister here at Mount Carmel Christian Church, and I've been given the honor and privilege of being able to bring the message today. But before we do that, we wanted to take a time in our service to uh, take up an offering. But before I invite our friends to bring the offering bags down, I want to tell you about two things. One is for VBS week, which is June 17th through 20th, our families are going to Athens, sort of. No, seriously, we're going to go visit Paul, and we're going to hear all about uh, Paul's uh, story and uh, his story of faith and his story of sharing the gospel. And so we'll be spending a week with families doing that, and so we would love for your family to be a part of it. So if you've got a little one and you want to come to VBS please sign up. You can do that by registering online at mountcarmelchurch.org. You can also put a note on your response card if you'd like more information about details, but it's on the evenings again on June 17th through the 20th. Speaking of your response cards, that's the second thing. Every week you have a response card inside of the bulletin that you've been given or in the chair in front of you. We would love it if you would at least put your name on there. But if you go a step further, you can write a prayer request on there or let us know ways in which you could get involved here at the church so we can help you to get connected here. So please do that. Take a moment to do that. And uh, when the bags come around, you can drop them in with your tithes and offerings. So we're going to ask our friends to come down. They're going to begin bringing the bags down here, and they will begin to pass them along. So this week as I was working through the message, I had a one word that was running around in my brain. I mean, more than that, but one that just caught my attention. And it's the word change. How many people in this room like change? Seriously, how many people like change? I won't go on if you don't answer. Do you, you, do, you like change? You don't like change? You don't? Okay, we got some, some people. Who what? Ooh, I like that answer. Change your controlling. You kind of like it. Okay. Well, there we go. So here's the thing about change. I think a lot of us that are, so I am a person that would raise my hand to that question. I like to think that I like change. I will contend this morning that none of us really like change. There are two kinds of people that will raise their hand and say that they like change. There's one that they don't really like change, they like the expectation of somebody else to change. So when when we're one of those kind of folks, um, we might say things like, you know, I really wish that person would do this better. I wish they'd do that more. I wish they'd do that less. If they did, I'd be a lot more comfortable in the world. So they create expectations for other people. They might never tell them what they would like changed, But they expect that, and then when the person doesn't meet their expectations of change, well, then they're not happy. 
But that really isn't a fan of change. It's a fan of the expectation that someone else will change. Then there's the other kind, and the other kind uh, is kind of the, the ideal of change. We do this every year when the calendar turns and we do New Year's resolutions, but we can hit any point during the calendar year and think about things that we would like to be different in our lives. We would like to be more of this, less of this, on and on. And we like the ideal that we can change. But we actually don't necessarily like taking the steps toward change. But here's, here's the, the truth that we're going to get into this morning about this word change as, as far as Scripture is concerned. I believe, number one, this is a bit pessimistic, I don't think you can change or I can change another person. You just can't. If you disagree, just nod along. And I also don't believe you or I can change ourselves. At least not alone. We can't. We're powerless to do so. And what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue in our series called Deep, as we go into Ephesians chapter 2, picking up from where Didi was last week in chapter 1, as we're going to talk about this issue of change, because I believe that Scripture teaches that one of the core tenets of God's message of salvation is the desire for people to be changed. See, when we think of the word salvation, we often think about getting the ticket into the pearly gates and the golden streets of heaven, amen. Um, that's a fake amen, sorry. Or we might think about getting pulled out of the muck and mire of the fires of hell. Oh. But here's the thing. Salvation in Scripture is actually about change. Sure, Entrance into heaven and escape from hell is the reward for the person that is a believer. But that is not the sole reason why Jesus was sent. You see, God is in the business of change. To remind you of something Didi shared last week about Ephesians, if you weren't here, Ephesians is likely a chain letter that's written to various different churches in the region of Asia Minor. In fact, the earliest manuscripts don't have the in Ephesus mark in the text because it's likely a chain letter that eventually ended in Ephesus and the name in Ephesus was added later. And so what we get in Ephesians is we get Paul doing a lot of theology and how that theology should impact the individual believers within these congregations. And so he's writing to a lot of Christians from a lot of different locations. And so some of the customary parts of Paul's letters that we would see where he might get deeply personal about his own story or he'll get deeply personal about the issues that the churches themselves are facing are kind of non-existent in this letter because it's meant to be a broad brush kind of letter. But it's still meant at its core to get Christians to think about how their life ought to be different than it was before. But see, anytime we get into the discussion of change, 
we have to remember our own cultural backdrop. We may not hear the word change used a lot, but I think that the struggles between the expectation of other people to change or the ideals of our own trying to change ourselves are at the root of a lot of discord in our culture today. We either cannot live with ourselves and so we constantly beat ourselves up over what we think needs to be changed and we try to muscle our way through something that we can't do on our own and we feel defeated and deflated or we're so worried about what everybody else is doing in the world that we think they have to change for us to have any peace in life. And that misses the message that God has for us in his letter to the Ephesians. So I want us to follow along. We're gonna spend some time this morning, or this afternoon. It's not morning anymore. It feels like morning to me. I'll take a nap later. We're gonna spend some time in the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter two. And I want you to follow along with me as we read this, okay? So Paul says, as for you, and I'm gonna pause here for a moment just because we're only three words in. As for you, you've probably heard this before, but if you haven't, when Paul is writing you, he's not talking to you as an individual. This is a fake stat here, but 90% of Paul's you in his letters is you plural. It should be y'all. So imagine that Paul is from Kentucky and and he is saying, as for y'all, And there's a reason I want you to catch this. This isn't pointed at just an individual. This is pointed at the collective group of Christians, which includes us today. It was written to the Ephesians and the people in the vicinity, but it's still for us today, collectively, and we're to hear this together. So let's go back here. It says, as for y'all, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live When you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if that sounded like a run-on sentence of a bunch of theological ideas, it's because in the Greek it was a run-on sentence of theological ideas. So I want us to go back verse by verse here and see what Paul is doing. Because if we slow down and we look at this passage, we'll actually not only see what God's plan is 
but we'll also see how it actually impacts us. Paul starts off and he says, you were dead in your transgression. So he, he's talking to these churches, he's talking to believers, and he says, you were dead in your transgressions, which means they're not now. Something has changed. In which you used to live according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And I want you to keep that idea, the kingdom of, the ruler of the kingdom of the air in your mind. Because we're, Paul's going to build this almost tiered system where you have the ground, you've got the atmosphere around, and then you've got the heavenly realm. So we're going to come back to what he's doing with this here. There's a reason that he refers to the evil one, the devil, as the kingdom of the ruler of the air. Because effectively, if you're in the world, but you're not with God, if you were as the Ephesian Christians were formerly, you're impacted by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. See, that's the, the first thing. When we talk about change, and we say that we cannot change others and change ourselves, the reality is, if you live in this world, you are influenced by something outside of yourself, one way or the other. That's what Scripture teaches it's either the kingdom, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, or it's God. The Ephesians used to be in a position in which they were ruled by the evil one. And he says that those that are disobedient, those that have not come to faith, they're still under the spell, so to speak. And then he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We were by nature deserving of wrath. So not only were you all Ephesian Christians in this way formerly, but we all who are believers used to be there. And I think this is a really, really humbling thing for Paul to bring up in these first three verses before we get to the good news. Because it is very, very easy for us, especially when we discuss the change that this passage is talking about, not to forget where we came from. Paul even lumps himself in when he says we. All of us used to be in a state in which we were ruled by the evil one and were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is not a good situation to be in. It's a pretty bleak outlook, and it's a really bleak situation for those that are not yet believers. And then he does a 180 really quickly for the rest of the section. He starts off and he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The word theology simply is the study of God. When we see theological ideas, we're supposed to be looking and saying, what does this say about God and his character? And I'll tell you what this passage says about God and his character. First of all, he has great love for us. And he is also rich in mercy. And Paul goes on to say how he is rich in mercy and how his love is expressed. He says that while we were still dead in our transgressions, God saved us. If you've ever thought about the phrase unconditional love, that's what's being described here. Except here's the thing. A lot of us think that we are good at unconditional love, 
and we actually have it flipped. We think we're good at it and God's not. But I can almost guarantee you that everybody has some sort of conditions on whether or not they will love another person. I'll give you a really silly and terrible example. So, my boy is going to be here in about a month, unless he comes early, which is cool, I think. I don't know. That's kind of frightening. Anyway, uh, my, first, my first kid will be here. I've got friends that would tell me about their young boys, and they would say to me, you know, uh, if, if my kid grows up and likes the Steelers, I'll give that as an example, I will disown him. I've heard this. Around a campfire once, actually. So it was getting real. And I used to think, oh, no, there's no way that you would think that. But I have to be honest with you. As I've been reflecting over what will amount to nine months, I probably have disowned my kid over that, too. I, I, I'm kidding. But here's the funny thing about, about saying something like that over something so trivial is what happens when it's not trivial. See, because the truth is, while I would never, ever disown my, my kid if they liked the Steelers, even the thought of saying it out loud, something that small, kind of does something to me. So imagine if you have a high moral standard on particular things, and they come in under the bar. Is the love still there? If the love is still there, is it still hard to show the love? See, because here's the beauty of God in this passage. While we were dead in our transgressions, do you know what sin is? Sin is living in a way that's contrary to the way God designed you to live. It's saying, God, I know what's best, you don't, and I'm going to do this over here. While we were still in that state, God did his act of love. Yeah, are there conditions on getting the reward of his love? Sure. But God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves off before he loved us. That's unconditional. That's the kind of God that we see in Scripture here. So it is by grace that you have been saved. And then Paul says this in verse six. He says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So remember that little tiered system I was talking about earlier. If you are not with Jesus and you are stuck in the atmosphere of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is influencing you? The evil one. What God has done is he has pulled us out of that environment and raised us up with Jesus into the heavenly realm, putting us above the messed up atmosphere and putting us into a state of influence by his son Jesus. He has created an image for us to, to catch that the goal is not for us to remain in the dead, sinful ways that we are or were formerly, but to look like his son. That's the situation Paul's setting up. And then he says, he says this bit about 
how this is to show incomparable riches of his grace to coming ages. So when we are influenced and changed by God through Jesus, we carry a light that others see and others can turn to God and be plucked out of that atmosphere and brought up to be with Christ. And then he adds, he says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I think that in our, our pluralistically religious culture, this idea of grace in this passage is one of the hardest things for us to reconcile. Most of us want to believe that we can change ourselves and work our way to the change that we want. And what scripture says is that grace is unmerited, it's undeserved, it is God's work and God's work alone. You cannot achieve it of your own volition. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's no way you can work your way to it. Now, of course, he does add in here by faith, which means that God wants us to respond in a faithful way to his grace. But we cannot earn that grace ourselves. It is not something that we can do for ourselves. And he concludes with this. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, it uses this term, it says handiwork in the NIV. The most basic fundamental uh, rendering of the Greek word here is that we are God's creation. And there is a reason why it's important to note that it says we are God's creation. Paul could have actually taken verse 10 and put that to the front. And here's why. The story that is told here is the story of all of Scripture. Put down into 10 verses. God created people and said they were good. They were created by God to be good. That's what we were designed for. But all the way back in the garden, the first couple took the fruit from the tree and they ate it when they shouldn't have, and they were broken. And every human being since has followed the same pattern again and again and again. We all have our own figurative fruit, but the same thing happens and the same consequences happen. We become broken, we become dead in our transgressions and sins. The story that Paul tells here is that God does not want to leave us broken, dead in our transgressions and sins. The plan of salvation is not to get us to the pearly gates. It's to redeem us, restore us, and make us to become what we were created to be. Paul is using this idea that we were created in a double meaning sense. It's the sense that yes, we were created by God, but we were also made new creations in Jesus. Made to be what we were intended to be in the first place. Salvation is not a ticket of escape. It's a fixing of the problem that we cannot change ourselves. That's what the story of salvation is in Scripture. 
And so when we see this, we have to then ask, well, how am I, what am I supposed to do with this idea here? Well, one thing that I would encourage you to uh, consider is what is our response to God's grace? Grace in Scripture is God's work to get us working again. And if grace is God's work to get us working again, and it is not our work, then what do we do? Well, I would like to use a word that we've thrown around here before. I know Didi's mentioned it, and I really like it. It is this idea of being open to God. It isn't working our way to God, but being open to the grace that's available to us. And I want to give you a few practical things that we can do to be open to God once and for all, but also open to God on a daily basis. The once and for all part is this. The pattern in Scripture to show that you're open to God's grace is to submit yourself to the water of baptism. When the gospel is preached in the book of Acts, the people would hear it the first time on Pentecost, and actually I think today's Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> there we go, that worked out. Um, when Peter preached the sermon on Pentecost, and it says that they were cut to the heart, the people responded to Peter and the fellow preachers, and they said, brother, what should we do? And he said, be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first thing to do is to submit to the waters of baptism. It is the declaration at that moment where you say, God, I can't do this on my own, and I need the grace that you have given. But you see, the thing is, one of the things that we do with the story of grace is we like to think of grace and salvation as an entry-level point that we can look back in the rearview mirror of once we've passed that point. But the truth is, is that the message of grace is not an entry point that goes in the rearview mirror. It is something that we should be in need of every single day. And I'm gonna give you three things that you can do every day, and they're things the church has been doing since the church's inception. It's really simple. If you want to be open to God on a daily basis, pray. Pray. If you wanna have a relationship with anybody, you have to talk to them. I know that we might wanna believe in this world that we can like, get away with not talking to people and have a relationship, but that's not real. Talk to God. And I don't mean just ask him for stuff that you want. I mean talk to him. Let out your joys, your sorrows, your celebrations, and your pains. Listen to him. Listen for what he's calling you to do. Pray. That's one way to be open to God. Another way to be open to God is to wrestle with this book. Not this specific one. You might have your own. You might have it on your phone. Wrestle with Scripture. Here's the thing, this book is really, really hard to read. It's really, really hard to understand. Not all of it's hard to understand, but some of it is. And the really hard to understand parts can be really frustrating. That's okay. Don't give up on it. This is God's word. We call this God's word. And again, like the prayer thing, if we want to be open to God, we want to be open to God by devoting ourselves to taking time to read scripture. That's not a work to get to his salvation. It's a, it's a way to be open to what he has to say to your life. And the third thing, and we'll touch more on this next week, the third thing is to be in a community of faith. 
The idea of the church and the idea of being in a community of faith is that everybody in that community is open to God and open and desiring the same change that God wants in their life and they're going at it together and helping one another. Because you cannot change yourself by yourself. You need God's grace that can only come from God and you need each other. We need each other. This is not a go on an island alone. And those are the three things. The church has been doing that since the beginning. That's how you are open to God. So I want to leave you with, with uh, my own uh, wrestling with this issue of change. So I told you at the beginning that I think that I like change. I found out this past week that I don't. So our team, our staff team, we've been doing this like uh, this personality test. And I think I've told you before, I like personality tests because I'm an introspective person and I really like to learn which Star Wars character I am or what my Myers-Briggs is. I don't, I don't really even remember what Star Wars character I am. Um, I'm probably like R2-D2. Anyway, um, but this, this particular test wasn't just all rainbows and unicorns and roses. It actually tells you some good stuff, some positive things, but it also tells you about your own struggles. And it tells you about your own struggles in relationship to uh, how you work and how you can get to places where you might want to get to. And I had to come face to face with that. So I've been banging down on the door. I wanted to do this thing so much. And then finally I get to sit down, go over my results with, with uh, this awesome lady that went through it. Uh, giving of time was just an awesome thing. And I left that situation frustrated. Because I had to come face to face with my own flaws and the work that it was going to take to get past them. And the truth is, when you come face to face with your flaws and you realize that you can't just muscle your way through it, but it's going to take time and something beyond yourself, it can be challenging and frustrating. So basically what I learned is, is that if I'm, as the, as the uh, test says, uh, if I'm uh, living within my stressors, I have a tendency toward fight or flight. Fight or flight is uh, kind of uh, typical of a person with anxiety. So uh, you either run from an issue or if you're really, really confident that you're right, <laughs> you'll fight to the death. And trust me, I do both of those things really, really well. But what I learned in that moment was that in order to not uh, be in my stress mode of operation, I cannot fight, I cannot flight. I need to live in the tension of the middle to learn to just be. You see, when we hear the message of grace, our tendency as people, even as believers, is to say, what should I do? And you know, if you've been listening to Didi, should is a bad word. What should I do? What work do I need to do to get closer to God? You can't work your way to it. The other option would be to hear it and run, and some people do. But if you're a person of faith, that's not a real option either. The better thing to do is to find the middle, to find the space to be, to find the space to be open, 
and recognize and humble yourself to the reality that the message of grace is that God won't leave you broken, but he wants to meet you where you are and change you in a way that only he can. And when he does that, you become a light so that others can experience the same change that only God's grace can bring about through Jesus. That's the beauty of the message of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We cannot change ourselves and we cannot change others. Only God can do that. So my prayer for you this morning will be that you will learn to be open to God so you can experience his grace so that he can change you from the inside out and you can inspire others to come face to face with the God of grace. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for being good to us. I thank you that, uh, I thank you, I love the passage that uh, while we were dead in our transgressions, uh, you had love for us. I am so thankful that, uh, that you don't wait for us to figure this out that you are the fix, you are the change agent, and that you loved us enough to act first. And God, I just pray that whether uh, we are people that have not accepted that grace yet, I pray, God, that you will stir our hearts to get us to that step to enter the water. But God, I also pray for those of us that are believers in this room that we will no longer look at grace as something in our rearview mirror, something to go beyond, but to look at grace as a depth to continue to come back to again and again and again so that you can do the work not only to make us whole so that we can also be a light to the world around us so that others can be fixed from their broken state too. We love you and it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.